Lord, you're worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, to be honored, to be glorified. And again, our heart is to get a taste of heaven this morning. First, as we've worshipped you, drawing near unto you. Now, Lord, we want to hear from you. It's the word of God that we want to hear, not the words or the opinions of men. Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak. May we hear what you want to say to us this morning. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Is this working? Nope. See, Pastor Bill leaves and everything breaks. That's what happens. So now I'm going to be be tied to this pulpit. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. All right. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter, or 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. On Wednesday night, we'll be in Genesis chapter 30, so let me encourage you to read, read ahead and come prepared for that. So this morning, we're going to finish off the message we began last week. Last week, we broke into prayer groups, which I thought was great. Uh, if you felt uncomfortable by that, that certainly was not my desire but uh, I won't tell you which Sunday it's going to be because I don't want you to stay home on that Sunday. So we will do it on occasion. We need to be praying more. Amen. So we'll be doing that more often. And I know that God answers prayer. So we need to be praying together as a body. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. So by way of quick review, and I will say this real quick, I heard great things about the women's brunch. Heard it went very well. And I know you had the prettiest MC in the history of women's brunches. It was my wife, so I'm not being flirtatious, okay? All right. So, 1 Peter, we talked about the fact that that was really the focus was on a church that was being persecuted and how they were to stand for their faith in the midst of persecution. Now we get to 2 Peter, and while the persecution continues, as about a year and a half or so has gone by since the last letter, now added to the persecution is false teaching creeping up inside of the church. We talked about a couple of different things that persecution from the outside, if the enemy can't win with that, he'll try to bring corruption from the inside. And so those same things are happening today. Continue to pray for our our, uh, missionaries, our pastors in India. Boy, they're just really, you know, there's more bombs going off, more people being persecuted, more churches being burnt to the ground, more believers just really having their lives uh, threatened, if not taken. Women being raped, it's out of control. We need to keep praying for them, amen? But the world is persecution from the outside is one of the enemy's tools. But a tool that's also very prevalent today, as we've been talking about, is corruption from the inside. False teaching coming right in. Again, wolves in sheep's clothing, those who would look like they're from God, speaking the oracles of God, who are actually tools of the enemy, drawing people away from the truth of the gospel. So that's what Second Peter, the main theme, really is. And his exhortation in the first one was to keep standing. Keep standing, keep being faithful in the first letter. The second letter, the exhortation really is to keep growing. Keep growing in your faith. Keep growing in your understanding of who God is and the truth of the Word. The way you stand against the lie is to know the truth. So that brings us to this morning's text. And uh, we looked at the first half last week. We titled the message, Growing in Faith and Spiritual Maturity. Last week, we looked at the seven characteristics of maturing faith. We'll touch on those a little bit as we're going through the text this morning. And then we're now going to look this morning at the three evidences of spiritual growth. How do you know you're growing spiritually? What are the evidences that you are growing in your faith and your relationship with the Lord? And the three things we're going to look at are fruitfulness, vision, and then security. 
So let's begin looking at growing in faith and spiritual maturity, the three evidences of true spiritual growth. The first one we're going to look at is fruitfulness. We're going to begin right there in verse 8 of chapter 1. And it says, For if these things are yours and abound. If these things are yours and abound. What things? The things that we looked at in verses 5 through 7 last week. And by way of quick review, because I think they bear repeating, repeating, the first thing he said is add to your faith virtue. So faith is where it all starts. Without faith in God, without faith in Christ, without faith in the shed blood of our Savior upon Calvary, you're not saved. And that's where it all starts. If you don't have faith in Him, that's where it begins. But as we said last week, that is not the finish line, that's the starting point. Too often we think, let's just get them saved. And we should want to see people saved. But we've got to go beyond just being newborn baby Christians our entire life. We need to be growing. So he said, add to your faith virtue. Now virtue, that word means moral excellence. Courage to stand for God. To live holy and to stand for truth. So it means moral excellence and it means courage. So the seven, these seven words, these seven things that we see toward spiritual maturity, growing in faith, the first thing we see is virtue. And guys, God's called us to live morally pure lives, but also to have courage and stand for truth. But then he said, add to virtue knowledge. Knowledge is a, de- a deepening and growing knowledge of Him. Guys, to know Him is to love Him. And if you want to know Him, you need to spend time with Him. Spend time in His Word. So part of that maturing process is, first of all, growing in virtue, growing in, and and again, moral excellence, but then also in courage, and now also in a deeper relationship with Him. Increased wisdom and discernment to live a holy and set-apart life. Then he says, and these are all the these things. Why am I going over this again? He said, if these things are yours, if these things are evident in your life, faith, virtue, knowledge of Him. And then he says, self-control. One who desires, one who masters his desires and passions and walks in godly discipline, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we can put it all on God or we can put it all on us. You know, God saves us, He chooses us, He redeems us, all true. And then He forces us to live a certain way. That's not the God we serve. And so God has called us and commanded us to live lives of self-control. We know from Galatians 5.22 that that's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. When you're out of control, you're outside of God's will. That's never a compliment. That guy's out of control. We should have self-control and controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Add to self-control, perseverance. Now remember, in context, who's he writing to? A bunch of churches who are being persecuted for their faith. People whose lives are being taken, fed to lions and all those types of things, persecuted beyond anything we can understand. And he's telling them to persevere, to remain faithful. Self-control, perseverance. One who trusts in God's sovereignty, to know that he's allowing our trials for a reason to grow us spiritually. But on top of self-control and perseverance, he says godliness. Godliness is a respect and a reverence for the Lord. A heart of worship toward Him that is also reflected in our actions towards others. Guys, our God is not honored enough today. Amen? Amen? He needs to be honored more, worshiped more, praised more, magnified more. And you know what? We can't expect a world that is lost and doesn't know Him to do it, but we ought to expect it in the church. And we ought to expect it in the lives of Christians. We need to set the example. Be salt and light. It just grieves me to hear His name cursed and mocked. You know what? There needs to be godliness and a reverence for Him. 
He's worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, and to be honored. And then he says, brotherly kindness. The word there is Philadelphia, a family love for the body of Christ. I said it this morning. Every time we gather, it's a family reunion. Every time we come together, we're coming together not just as, you know, people who share the same church or people who live in the same city who happen to have similar beliefs. We're coming together as a family. And truly, there should be that brotherly kindness, that supernatural affection. And then finally, he says love. The word love there is agape. It's that selfless love that God shows towards lost sinners. It's the love that originates from God and flows through us. It's a love that esteems others greater than ourselves. So when he says these things, if these things are yours, what are they? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. If these things are evident in your life, that's how he begins this portion of the text. If these things are are yours. I love what it says in the King James. If you have the old King James, it says, if these things are be in you. So not these aren't things you think about or these are things you strive towards, but these are things that are in you. These are fruits of the Holy Spirit in your life. These things are evident as you matured in the most holy faith. If these things are in you. So he's not speaking of these characteristics as outward religion, or man-made attempts at achieving holiness. Guys, we got it all backwards when we write down a bunch of rules and then we try to keep them to please God. Please, when you read that list, don't think that that's what it is. This is a natural outpouring of a life surrendered to God and allowing Him to flow through us. Amen? It's not us attempting to achieve you know, God's favor by being better. It's us surrendering so He can speak through us. He speaks of these characteristics as being the very fabric of who a Christian is. Godly character, again, not something we, we achieve, but us reflecting Him. So if we're in Christ, His character is in us. He is a part of who we are. It's something we possess. So if these things are in you, now what? If these things are yours, and it says, and abound. The word abound there literally means to exist in abundance, to increase, to multiply, to grow. This godly character should not only be in us, a part of us, but should be growing in us. Guys, are you closer, don't answer this, but are you closer to God today than you were six months ago? You should be. As Christians, our faith, we should be growing. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for three weeks or 30 years, you ought to be growing. Amen? Sometimes we think all the growth happens early on. Oh, you're a brand new Christian. You don't know anything, but you'll settle down at some point. I've had people say that. Oh, he's a new Christian. He'll relax at some point. You know what? We need to have the fire of a new believer for 50 years. Amen? We need not to be dialing it down and walking away and washing it down. And, oh, man, dude, just relax a little bit, man. Just go with the flow. You know what? Any dead fish can go with the flow. Amen? We need to be swimming against the flow. We need to be salt and light in a world that so desperately needs Jesus Christ. Godly faith and character is not something we accomplish, but it's something that should grow in us until the day we die. So he says, if these things are yours and abound, here's what he says. So if these things are true, all those things we read, if these things are true about you, here's what's going to happen. First, he's going to tell you what won't happen. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you are indeed one who not only possesses godly character, but one who is abounding and growing in godly character, you will not be barren. The word barren there means inactive, unemployed, lazy, useless, or slow. How about that? Good old Peter. You know what? You won't be slow. If these things are true, you won't be slow. If these things are true, you won't be unemployed. If these things are true, you won't be useless. If these things are true, you will not be inactive. Guys, if we are walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, if we have godly character and we're growing in it, we will not be on the sidelines watching the world go by. We'll, we'll take an active role in reaching them for the kingdom of God. Amen? Guys, I know I say this often. I know if you've been coming here more than two weeks, you know that one of my gifts is exhortation. Amen? But you know what? The reason being that we need to be exhorted. Because we need to move past our comfort zone. It's not always easy, is it? But God desires that we step out. And when we do, He'll bless it. He'll honor it. But if we have godly character, we will not be barren. So you know what that tells me? If we're barren, we don't have godly character. Amen? If we're inactive, if we're sitting on the sidelines, if we're doing nothing, something's wrong with our relationship with the Lord. Something, guys, did the apostles all sit around and do nothing? Did the first century church sit around and do nothing? If you go to most places in the world today where Christians are being persecuted for their faith, like they are in India right now, they're laying down their life every day to be called a Christian. God, you know, I, I, you know, you think I'm out of my mind. Sometimes I pray that we would be persecuted a little bit more in this country, so then maybe we'd start stepping up for our faith. Because sometimes I think when everything's easy... It's easy to become the, the church of Laodicea, the book of Revelation talks about. The lukewarm church. The church is just happy going to heaven, but not really all that concerned about anyone else. So he says, if this godly character is growing in you, you will not be barren. Now let me make one side point, because I think this is important. As Christian Christians, and especially Christian men, let me say this to you. Christian men, you should be working hard enough not only to provide for your family. The Bible says a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Oh man, really? Yeah, the Bible says that. Worse than an infidel is what the Bible actually says. And that's where we get the word infidelity. It's like someone committing adultery on his family if he doesn't provide for them. But I believe the Word of God would also exhort us that not only should we be providing for our family and for ourselves, but we should be working hard enough that we can take God's resources and minister to others as well. Amen? Not just how much can I do for me and my family, but have a heart to also minister to others. And as we grow in godly character, we will not be barren. We will not be off to the side. We will not be those who, again, make no reflection of the character of God, but actually bring harm to His name. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is not produced by sitting on the sidelines. Back in verse 5, it says, giving all diligence. So a faithful walk is a fruitful walk, and it's a diligent walk. Guys, it's going to require effort. It's going to require diligence to be the man or the woman of God you've called to be. It might mean that you have to get up a half an hour earlier to spend time with the Lord before you go to work. You've heard me talk about the difference between, you know, someone who has a true passion and someone who's doing something out of duty. Pastor Tim Brown shared this at the pastor's conference a few years ago, and he used the example of a young man, you know, a young man who, who says, I'm just going to start serving God, and he's doing it out of duty. 
And so he says, I'm going to set my alarm for four o'clock and I'm going to get up and I'm going to read my Bible. And yet, you know, he opens up his Bible. He gets up at four that first day. And at 405, he's drooling in his Bible. He's out. He's doing it out of duty. But that same young man meets the most beautiful woman he's ever met in his life. And because of the shifts they work and they're both going to school, the only time they can spend together is between 4 and 5 a.m. That same guy gets up at 2.30, takes a shower, goes by the flower store, gets two cups of coffee, and meets her, at the, you know, meets her down at the park bench where they can talk for an hour, and he gets there 15 minutes early not to miss anything. That's the difference between duty and passion, amen? You know what? We need not to have duty toward the Lord, but passion for the Lord, Amen? We should be opening up the Word of God with that same heart and that same passion that we're going to hang out with our groom. We're His bride. We're going to spend time with Him. We should be excited about it and diligent about it. His divine nature, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. The character is growing within us. And if the character is growing, there should not be idleness and laziness and inactivity. Again, should have no part in the life of a Spirit-filled believer of godly character. Barrenness is the fruit of self-centeredness. You know when we get lazy? When we think of only ourselves. Why are we lazy? Because we're not worried about anybody. But I just want to be comfortable. I'm not worried about anybody else but me. And again, that's not a mark of godly character. Godly character produces a selflessness and a sense of urgency. You know what I find in people that become more on fire for God? A greater sense of urgency and burden for the lost. They'll get to the point where they're losing sleep. They'll get to the point where they're going to fly across the country to go talk to somebody that's, that's on their heart. They're going to get to the point where it's not something that is negotiable anymore. And that heart, Lord, stir it up in all of us. Laziness is sin. Inactivity renders us ineffective. God has called us to be salt and light and to fulfill the Great Commission. So barrenness. These are things for those who lack these things. If you're not walking in the fullness of the Spirit, we will, not be, we will be neither barren nor unfruitful. Guys, if we are filled with godly character, our life will bear fruit. So, nor fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says at the end of that verse. It speaks of one who either has no knowledge of Him or one who has not allowed their knowledge of Him to take a hold of them. The word unfruitful there means without fruit or not yielding what it ought to yield. He's saying if you have godly character, your life will yield what it should yield. But if you do not have godly character, your life will not be yielding what it's supposed to yield. Guys, as believers, our lives should be bearing fruit. As believers, we should be sharing our faith on a regular basis. But Pastor Dave, I'm just not outgoing. You don't understand. I'm the shyest person who ever lived. You know what? Our God knows that. And our God is faithful. Amen? And He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I'm living proof every Sunday. Right? But the point is this. That God is a calling on the life of everyone in here. And may we not allow our personality to get in the way of God's calling. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot produce it by ourselves, but it is produced as we yield ourselves to Him, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, and as we draw from the vine. Guys, how do you and I bear fruit? Is it us determining to try harder? It's not what happens. The Bible says in John 15, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself itself, 
unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do what? Nothing. And nothing in the original language means nothing. And so the point is this, that without Him we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And guys, it's not us trying harder, but us being grafted into Him, us being connected to Him, us being joined to Him, us abiding in Him. And if we're abiding in Him, we'll be living lives of godly character, and in the midst of that godly character, our lives will not be barren, they will not be unfruitful, but our lives will be fruitful. Our lives will be bringing others to the Lord. Guys, if you're abiding in Him, you'll be diligent. You'll have passion. You'll get up early. Your priorities will change. It's amazing. You know what? When somebody gets radically saved, it scares people. Dude, what in the world happened to you? I mentioned last week that my little brother, who I've been praying for forever, God's really gotten a hold of his heart, and now I just found out he's flying all the way out here to witness to my older brother. And I'm thinking, something happened to him. He's flying from Hawaii to here to go witness to his big brother who he's burdened for. Guys, that's what happens when God really gets a hold of us. We drop every... Now, we still are diligent. We're still faithful. We're still doing what God has called us to do. But we become sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. If we're abiding in Him, we will be diligent. Our knowledge of Him will produce godly character. And our lives will be both faithful and fruitful. If you haven't memorized Galatians 5.22, can I encourage you to do so? It says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Does that describe your life? Now, you know when you get in your flesh, those things get thrown out the window, don't they? You're not so kind when you're walking in the flesh. Somebody cuts you off on the freeway and you just forgot all about kindness. Your boss is overbearing at work and you forgot all about long-suffering. But when you're able to do this, it's when you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is reflected in godly character. So are we growing in faith and spiritual maturity? Are we living lives of godly character that reflect the power of the Holy Spirit within us? Or are we living lives of barrenness, idleness, laziness, inactivity, fruitlessness, that reflects a lack of real faith and a lack of truly deep knowledge of the Lord. If your life is not bearing fruit, it's time to get grafted into the vine. Amen? If you're here today and you've been a Christian a long time and you feel like your life is pretty fruitless, if you examine your life on that list we just went through in chapter verses 5-7 through seven, and you don't recognize your life there, say, Lord, help me and ask God to... Say, help me to abide in you. Help me to walk with you. Help me to be grafted into the vine. The one and only true source of bearing fruit and living a life of godly character is being grafted in to Jesus Christ. So growing faith and spiritual maturity. Three evidence of spiritual growth. The first one is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness in character and fruitfulness in behavior. Fruitfulness in using the gifts that God's given you and fruitfulness in the attitude that you have around a lost and dying world. The second thing we're going to see along with fruitfulness is vision. Vision. You know, this word gets thrown around a lot. Vision. But in this text, I think we get a good description of what it really means. It says in there in verse 9, For he who lacks these things 
is short-sighted. So what are the these things again? For he who lacks faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love, one who lacks godly character, one who is not growing in his relationship with the Lord, what does he say? He says there, he lacks, he is short-sighted. He who lacks these things is short-sighted. Now a nutritionist would tell us there are certain things that we can eat that will improve our vision. And it's also true spiritually, even more so, that there are things that we need to be digesting on a regular basis if we're going to have vision. If we're going to have vision, we need to be spending time in the Word. If we're going to have vision, we need to be spending time in the presence of the Lord. We need to be people of worship. We need to be people of prayer. And he says there, if he lacks these things, he is short-sighted. Now the Bible says, for a lack of vision, the people perish. And that's really applied to a pastor. But it must also be true in every believer. A lack of fruit, a lack of diligence, a lack of godly character, that's a life that lacks vision. When he says he is short-sighted, even to blindness, it's interesting that the word short-sighted literally means nearsighted. You know what it means? The only person you can see is you. You're short-sighted. All I can see is me. All I can see is what's near to me. The only thing I focus on is me, myself, and I, my three favorite people, right? I focus on my three favorite people. I focus on my environment. I focus on taking care of myself. I focus on my finances, my jobs, my gifting, my stuff. It's all about me. And he says those who don't have these things, this is exactly their problem. They lack vision. Their vision is focused only on themselves. There's no real understanding of life and eternity. The Bible says that an unsafe person is in the dark because Satan has blinded his mind. Satan wants to blind us to the truth. Why is it that when we talk to people about the Lord, it seems so simple to us and people will look at you like they're in a coma? You share with them the very simple truth of the gospel and they doubt the glazed overlook. Oh, that's good for you. That's good for you. Hey, the building's on fire. You know what? The, the, the ceiling's coming down in eight seconds. The door's right over there. Let's run. Hey, that's good for you. Good for you. Hey, if that works for you, go ahead. Dude, you're going to die. Oh, it's good for you. As long as it works for you. Right? And that's how people respond to the gospel often. You know why? They're blind. They are spiritually blind. They don't see. You know what, though? Praise God when we were saved. Once we were blind, but now we see. Now we understand. Now life makes sense. Now we get it. Not because of who we are, but because of His great grace. But He says here that those who do not have godly character, they're nearsighted. They're short-sighted, even to blindness. A person must be born again before his eyes are opened. Then and only then can he truly see the kingdom of God. Again, that word short-sighted in the King James Version, if you have that with you this morning, says he cannot see afar off. Again, he only sees what's closest to him. The only thing he focuses on is himself, his own will, his own comfort, his own needs, and not the vision for a lost and a dying world. He sees life in the world around him from his own eyes instead of through God's eyes. He's got an eye problem. Amen? He's got an EYE problem and a capital I problem. He's got problems seeing. He's got a problem with his vision. He's got a problem that his focus or her focus is on, on himself. And because of that, they have very little impact on the world around them. 
So someone who does not have this godly character is somebody who is nearsighted, focused again on themselves. Jesus admonished his disciples and he said this, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The church today, most Christians are far too short-sighted, far too focused on themselves, and are not enough of a desperate need for the people around us. I love the song. I know we've sang it, probably all of you have. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch Him. To show Him that I love Him. My prayer this morning is that the Lord would open our eyes, first and foremost, to who He is. To all that He has done for us. And to the truth of the desperate needs of the people around us. Lord, help us to get our eyes off of ourselves and to look at You. To see the world through Your eyes. To get our eyes off the temporal and get our eyes on the eternal. You know, I love the story where Elisha's servant is like, what are we going to do? We're we're just overmatched. And then the Lord opens up Gehazi's eyes and he looks and he sees that surrounding this army around them are chariots of fire all the way around behind them. You know, we need to have our eyes open to realize that it is a spiritual battle that we fight. To go beyond just again our comfort zone. Lord, stretch us. Lord, use us. And then it says, even to blindness. And has forgotten that he has, was cleansed from his own sin. Blindness. To lack these godly characteristics. To live a life that is barren and fruitless and to fail to grow spiritually, and to still consider myself a spiritual person, is to be blind to my own condition. Here's what happens. And we all have done it. And you know when we specially do it? When somebody dies. And I totally get it, I understand. But somebody we care about dies, and then we try to find some speck of something that would make us think they might have been saved. Am I the only one that's ever done that? You hope, because that's our hope, isn't it? It's too late now, it's our hope. We can do the same thing while we're alive. We can say, well, you know what? I I do some things for the Lord, and yeah, you know, I'm kind of involved at church, and, and we can be so spiritually blind to our own condition. We can be so spiritually blind to where we really are in our relationship with the Lord. To have a false sense of what the Christian life is to look like. Forgotten that he was cleansed from his sins. He's forgotten the depths of God's grace. Guys, we need to be reminded constantly of the depths of God's grace. Every time we take communion, we'll do that next week, we should be taking that unleavened bread, representing the fact that he is without sin. It's striped because he was, you know, he was beaten for us. It's pierced because he was pierced for us. It's then broken because He was broken for us. And He did all of that out of love for us. It was His incredible grace that took sinners like us, and He that knows me best loves me most. He loves me unconditionally. He went to the cross that you and I might have eternal life. What a gracious God we serve. And we can sometimes forget. We can allow God's grace and the cross of Calvary to grow common. We can come to the point where we just think, hey, as long as I'm just, you know in the middle somewhere, cruising along in life, it's fine. I just pray that we would would remain broken over the sinners that we are. Amen? That we would remain desperate at all times for the Lord. That we would never cease to, to be in a position where we're crying out to Him on a daily basis. That we would never become self sufficient, but we would remain God dependent. Amen? No matter where you are in your walk, 
You need to be desperate for God, and so do I. And he says, sadly, he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. The knowledge of what we've been cleansed from, the price our Savior paid to redeem us, should cause us to abhor the things that we once were. Guys, one of the reasons it is so easy for us to sin, and guys, we all know this, do we continue to sin? What's the answer? Yes. But guys, the, the more we grow in our relationship with the Lord, the more it ought to grieve us every time we do. And we should not look at sin and take it lightly. As Christians, we shouldn't act like it's no big deal. It ought to grip us every time. But the reason that we do is we begin to forget what we've been delivered from. We begin to forget the incredible grace of God. And so going back to our past is not that big a deal. Well, God forgave me before, He'll forgive me again. And that's what Satan loves to whisper in our ear, doesn't he? You ever heard that before? Is it only me? You know what? God will forgive you. Just do it. That's what the enemy does. Yes, God will forgive you, but the consequences will remain. Guys, we need to get to the place where we hate our sin. We hate it. In Scripture, there's very few things that God would tell us to hate. We can hate the devil, and we should hate our sin. Amen? Come to the point where it's not okay. We don't make excuses for it, but it grieves us, and it breaks our heart. It should drive us from going back to such behavior to continue growing in godly character. Life is too brief and the needs of the world too great for God's people to be walking around with their eyes closed. He says this is what happens. When there's no godly character, you have Christians, and the word that's literally used there is squinting. They literally, they, you know, they can't see far off. They're squinting. Their eyes are pretty, are almost fully closed. So all they can see is what's right in front of them. And you know what? For us as believers, our eyes need to be wide open to what's going on around us. We can't be sleepwalking through this life. We only have one life to live for Him. And you know what? It's but a vapor. Point number three. Growing in faith and spiritual maturity. Evidences of spiritual growth. The first thing we've seen is a life that bears fruit. The second thing is vision. To see the world, our character, and our salvation through God's eyes, not our own. Finally, security. Guys, you know what's great? I can stand here before you and you can say to me this morning, with full assurance, I'm going to heaven. Amen? If you've been born again, you can say that. I'll tell you one of the things that always concerns me when I meet somebody and you ask them if they're going to heaven and then they say, I hope so. Have you ever met anybody like that? I hope so. I've never heard anybody say, no, nah, I don't want to go. I have yet to meet that person. Usually they go, yeah, I hope I'm going. If there is a God, yeah, I'm sure, you know, if God grades on a curve, I'm no Charles Manson. So, you know, if there is a heaven, I'm sure I'll get in. And the problem is that man is mistaken to believe that man is inherently good. God doesn't grade on the curve, He grades at the cross. And because of the cross of Calvary, we can say with full assurance, I'm going to heaven. But I want you to see something this morning. That the assurance of our salvation is not made on our confession alone. It's not just that we walked an aisle and we prayed a prayer, that we can stand with assurance and say, I know for sure that by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I'm going to heaven. Because the fruit of true confession is a transformed life. If the life has not been transformed, that confession may have meant nothing. I know this gets people a headache, 
And I know you begin to struggle a little bit when you hear things like this, but we need to hear it. Look at verse 10. It says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Now, how in the world do we make our call and our election sure? Who elects us? What's the answer? God does. Who calls us? What's the answer? God does. So if He calls us and He elects us, how do I make my calling more sure? How do I do that? Well, He's going to go on and discuss that. And the way we do it is by living a holy and set-apart life of godly character. He starts off, let's back up. He says, be even more diligent. In our pursuit of godliness, our faith, our virtue, our knowledge, our self-control, our perseverance, our godliness, our brotherly kindness and love, he's saying be even more diligent. As I, I wrote this in my Bible, I underlined it, and I put the date next to it, because I know that God's speaking to me, that I need to be even more diligent, and maybe he's speaking to some of you this morning the very same thing. No matter where you are spiritually, can we be more diligent? What's the answer? So he's exhorting us to be more diligent. He's exhorting these guys. Remember, context is king. They're being persecuted, but also there's false teachers popping up all around them. They need to be more diligent so they do not fall for the lie of the false teacher. Guys, as we get closer and closer to our Savior's return, let me guarantee you one thing for sure. Satan is going to go down swinging. He is not going to sit idly by. He wants to see as many people spend eternity with Him in hell as possible. He wants to see the church corrupted. He loves nothing more than to see things called Christian that are outside of the, of the truth of the gospel. And you know what? It's getting worse and worse, not better and better. So if we're going to stand in a day like today, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. We need to know the truth. And not only know it, but live it. So this exhortation to his brothers and sisters of the faith, in midst of persecution from the inside, excuse me, persecution from the outside and corruption from the inside, was to continually, to diligently seek the Lord and deepen in their relationship with Him. James 2.26 says this, For the body without the Spirit is dead, so too faith without works is dead. How do you and I Make your call and election sure. Here's how. You produce good works. Because a true believer will produce good works. The way that we know that someone's truly been saved, and only God can judge that, but the way that you can know yourself, that you've been born again, that you won't lay in bed at night and say, am I really going to heaven? You know, I love this analogy. I don't lay in bed at night and wonder if I'm married. I know that I am. But I also know that because I'm married, that I still need to be a servant to my wife. That there's still more that I need to do to be a faithful husband. You know what? I know that I'm going to heaven. I know it for a fact. But there's still more that God would have me to do to be a faithful part of His bride. To be faithful to the calling He's placed upon my life. And the same is true for you. And so the exhortation here, the encouragement here, is to be even more diligent and the diligence is going to be shown in the works that are produced. You've heard me say it a hundred times, so 101 won't hurt. It's not faith or works or faith plus works. It's faith that works. We're not choosing, is it faith or is it works? It's both. It's not adding the two together that produces salvation. It's true believing faith that produces good works in your life and in mine. 
So he says, to make your call and election sure. Remember, context, people were walking away from the faith. I would hope it wouldn't happen, but I would guess that it probably would. If somebody walked in here right now with a machine gun and lined all of us up against the wall and said, any of you who will reject your faith can leave. I have an idea some people would leave. I would hope not. But you know what? If we did it in the Church of America today, most people would leave. Amen? If your life was on the line, you know, giving your life to the Lord, being a Christian in name only is one thing, but when you have to lay down your life to be a Christian, everything changes. Persecution, you know, it's, a, it's the fire that reveals, removes the dross and reveals those who are truly serving the Lord. So what should they do to keep from falling in the same trap? How can they be sure that they've really been saved? How do they make their call and election sure? says there the evidence and the assurance that they have been truly saved is that their lives continue to bear fruit. Your life will bear fruit if you've truly been born again. True salvation from sincere repentance will result in a transformed life. It is that transformed life and progression of faith and growing godly character that is the assurance of salvation. Profession that never progresses is not salvation. Again, Walking an aisle, and the Billy Graham Association will tell you that for every thousand people that come forward at a crusade, one year later, less than 50 of them are in church. So guys, it's not walking an aisle and praying a prayer. That's where it starts, if there's sincerity. But the sincerity is proven out in a transformed life. That profession of faith must progress There must be growth. Pastor David, you're telling me works-based salvation. Let me make it clear again. No. Do I believe once saved, always saved? Pastor Dave's opinion, yes, I do. But I do believe this. If someone is truly saved, they will abide. If someone is truly saved, they will endure until the end. I got some really distressing news on on the internet, uh, uh, emailed to me this morning. A very, very well-known Christian songwriter who wrote one of my favorite Christian songs I've ever heard came out a couple days ago saying he's rejected his faith and he's a homosexual now. And I just went, now, did that person lose his salvation? Or was he ever saved? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to stand before God in that state. And guys... Pastor Rawls says it this way. If you're not abiding, you're not going, man. You know what I mean? We need to be abiding in the faith. Amen? We need to be pressing into the kingdom of God. There needs to be more than profession. There must be progress in our walk with Him. We should be closer to Him today than we were yesterday. And if we're not, it's time to look up. It's time to seek Him again. If we've truly been born again, it's going to show in our behavior. Then he says this. Second half of verse 10. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. How do you keep from falling away? You press into the kingdom of God. How do you keep from allowing the false teachers to stumble you? You know the truth of God's word. If you are a man or a woman of godly character growing in the most holy faith, you will not fall for the lie of the enemy. 
You will not walk away. You will not deny your faith, as this gentleman just did. If you are truly growing in godly character, that will never happen. That's what the text says. Now, does that mean we'll never sin? What's the answer? No. If it did, we're all in big trouble. What it means is that our character is such that we will never abandon the Lord. We will never leave Him. We will never walk away from Him. And these are words of encouragement. Because remember, some of these have maybe family members. Certainly, people going to their church who've said, you know what, dying for my faith, not so much. Some of them have walked away and abandoned. And here this word comes to them. If you're truly growing in godly character, if you've truly been born again, if your life has truly been transformed, you will never stumble. You don't need to lay in bed at night wondering, am I ever going to walk away from the Lord? If you've truly been born again, you will abide. But if you do not abide, there's no proof that you were ever born again. And again, only God judges that. And I'm really blessed that that's the case. Continual growth and progress in the Christian life is the surest way, the only way, to really keep from stumbling. Going forward keeps you from falling back. Pressing in keeps you from turning away. Are you pressing in this morning? Are you closer to God than you were six months ago? Are you drawing near unto Him? Or do you feel your walk with Him falling away? Have you gotten so busy at work, you're spending less time with Him than you used to? Have you gotten so involved in a hobby or something that you're doing that you don't spend as much time with the Lord? Have you allowed a certain pet sin to take camp in your life? turning on your computer, looking at stuff you shouldn't, getting involved with drugs or alcohol or something that's, you know, where you're making that the priority of your relationship with the Lord. Are you being swelled up with pride? Are you, you know, cheating people at work? Whatever it might be, there's things that we can allow, be it money, be it a relationship, be it, you know, the desire to make ourselves feel good that we put in front of the Lord. And if we've done that, we need to get back to making Him the priority. For pressing in, we won't fall away. And then last verse. And I love this. This should be an encouragement to all of us. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what he just said. Make your call and election sure. If you do, these things won't stumble you. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you do not stumble, if you're pressing in, if you're a man of woman or character, if you're seeking after the things of God, you will not fall away, but instead you're going to go to heaven. And he's going to bring you into his presence. And it's going to be an incredible reception. Peter's exhortation was not only to keep moving forward, but to keep looking up. Guys, Lord, help us to live with a heavenly perspective. Help us to live every day in light of eternity. I've mentioned this before, that often I find myself trying to live my life backwards. And what I mean by that, I'll I'll be spending time with the Lord, or I'll be just spending time in prayer, and I'll kind of almost envision myself in heaven looking back at my life right now. Looking back at the life I had lived with no chance to change it. And what would I have done differently? And Lord, I still have time. Let me do it differently now. Lord, let me live my life in light of eternity. Too often, people only think about eternity moments before they face it. Or maybe they never think about it because they don't have a warning that they're about to face it. As believers, we ought to live every day in light of eternity. To live life on earth with an eternal perspective and to live every day with a heavenly expectation. 
He says there, an abundant entrance. Now let me tell you what the couple of meanings this, that this word was used for. The Greeks would use this for when an Olympic champion returned home. And when the Olympic champion returned home and came in, they would have a huge reception. They'd come into the city and people would cheer and they would line the streets and it would just be a, an incredible celebration. The same word was also used for when a Roman uh, king or leader would go out and conquer and win a battle. And then when he would return to a city, it literally, the word there speaks of a, a choral uh, uh, reception where they would have people lining the streets and they would sing. And then they would get in line behind them and they would sing as they walked through the street. It was a huge celebration. Guys, an Olympic champion returning home or a conquering, you know, hero returning home is going to have nothing compared to us entering into heaven. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Guys, can I encourage you? Think about it. Because we're all going to face it at some point. What will our homecoming in heaven be like? You know, I don't know for sure. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know this. There's never going to be anything else like it. Many of you have probably heard the story before about a missionary who was on the mission field for many, many years, many decades. And he's coming home as years ago. So he was coming home on a ship. And he was coming home on a ship after you know, 40 or 50 years in the mission field. And at least in his mind, he was expecting some huge reception. He thought, here I have been serving the Lord all this time. No doubt, you know, my supporters, people will be there waiting for me. And as the story goes, I don't know if it's made up or true, but as the story goes, he comes home and he hears a band playing and he thinks it's for him and he gets off and actually the President of the United States was on the same ship with him. Everybody's there to celebrate the President. He gets off the ship, nobody there to meet him, not one person. And as he's walking along and dragging his trunk by himself, no one to help him, feeling left out, he heard a voice from heaven say, as he said, what kind of homecoming is this? He heard a voice from heaven say in his heart, you're not home yet. Guys, our homecoming isn't here, it's in heaven. Amen? And I'll tell you what, nothing better. And can I say this? Just, I'm just going to be transparent with you. When I think about going to heaven, I don't think about golden streets. I don't think about a crystal seed. No, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. I'll tell you the part that grips me the most is standing before our Savior. I don't, I'm sure I'll be flat on my face for a while. But at some point, looking into the eyes of our Savior and hearing those seven words that I pray I hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Guys, that's homecoming. And we ought to live every day in a way that we will hear those seven words. Some debate as to whether or not every Christian is going to hear that. Some would say there will be Christians that enter in, but they're not going to receive. I don't know. But all I know is this. Don't you want to stand before the Lord having given your life completely to Him? When you stand before Him on Judgment Day, is anything else going to matter? But we don't live like that today. Lord, help us to live in light of eternity, to live in anticipation of standing before our Savior, looking Him in the eye one day, realizing He gave us not only eternal life, but the power of the Holy Spirit. He then gave us gifts. He's called us to use them. Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, we can't do this without You. 
But I so desperately want to hear those words. The list of blessings in growing Christian is just... The list of these blessings of a a growing Christian, again, in just these few verses, what have we heard? Here's what a growing Christian should be like. They should have a fruitful life and walk. They should have an eternal perspective. And they should live every day in light of the fact that they will stand before the Lord one day. The strength and the foundation to stand and not stumble in the face of outward persecution and inward corruption is the knowledge of who we are in Jesus Christ. Guys, it's when we get caught up with the storms of life, it's when we take our eyes off of Him and put them on the things of the world that we are so wide open to both outward persecution causing us to stumble or inward false teaching causing us to turn our eyes away. My prayer for all of us, again, is that we would live every day in light of eternity. So in closing, growing in faith and spiritual maturity. Last week we saw the seven characteristics of a maturing faith. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And then this morning, three evidences of, a, of true spiritual growth. Our lives should produce fruit. If we are grafted into the vine, there's going to be fruit. If there's no fruit, we're not abiding in Him. We need to start abiding. Number two, vision. We need to be seeing things from an eternal perspective. Not be short-sighted. Not be walking around Christians with our eyes half-closed, looking only at ourselves and what is closest to us, but having an eternal perspective and also having a global perspective. Having a burden not just for my neighbor, but for the people around the world. Having a, a prayer life that goes beyond just what's best for me, but ministering to others as well. And then finally, having the security that we're going to heaven. The assurance of our salvation. To make our calling sure. How do we do that? We press into the kingdom. We make our calling sure as our lives bear fruit. Lord, help us not to be satisfied with a lukewarm walk, but as we saw in the text this morning, to have a a hunger and a passion to know Him better and lives that are fruitful. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. And Lord, I pray for each of us I know, Lord, if this message was for nobody else this morning, I know it was for me as I studied. Lord, how you just really have gripped my heart to be more diligent, to spend more time in your presence, to make you even more of a priority in every aspect of life. Father, help us to not be satisfied with lukewarm walk. Help us, Lord, to press into your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to not have our faith stop at profession, but to be progressing day by day, to be growing every single day in our relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to live every day in light of eternity, to have a heavenly perspective. Lord, we can't wait to see you face to face. Lord, I come personally, humbly and broken before you and desperate to say, Lord, do whatever you need to do in my life that I might hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do whatever is necessary. Remove whatever is getting in the way. I pray that for every one of us this morning. We come humble and broken before you. We thank you that you're such a gracious God. You know us best and you love us most. You are so faithful. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.